Hi, everyone. Before we begin the show, we must again sadly hold an in-memoriam to some creatives in the anime among us that have passed away recently, some in particular very close to our hearts. Voice actor Chris Ayers passed away on October 18th from medical complications at the age of 56. Chris has been struggling with his health for a while now and often had to raise funds through fundraising campaigns for his medical expenses. And yeah, you know, he was a survivor and even through like dealing with his late stage COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, like he still would do performances as Frieza in a lot of projects, including Dragon Ball Super Broly. And yeah, I mean, his, he was such a really great actor. And in contrast to the fact that one of his most famous roles is, of course, the very disagable Frieza, which he hands up so beautifully and really redefined that character for the English dub. Like, every account of Chris Ayers as a person is just, like, about how he's, like, the kindest, sweetest, most generous person there was. There are accounts of, like, how he would you know, sign autographs for fans, even if they didn't, like, have money, because, you know, his philosophy is that we, as actors, you know, people aren't coming here, like, just for us, like, they're coming here for the community, and, you know, I'm grateful to them, like, because of them, like, I have this amazing career, so why would I necessarily charge more on top of that? I mean, he just had such a generous, like, mindset, and was so giving, and so, yeah, just... Really, every account that I've seen read of Chris Harris in the aftermath of passing is just like, it portrays as like one of the most kind people that had been in the space and he was just so well loved and so well respected and it's just so sad to see him pass away, especially after really loving his performances and man, it's, it's one that really hits hard, but you know, he was struggling through a lot, and I think at the very least, a source of comfort is that he is remembered so fondly as just being such a really wonderful person who really spread a lot of love and joy to others. And seeing that return to him, the aftermath of his passing, with so many loving tributes, was really heartwarming to see. Sadly, we also need to talk about some other creators in the space that have passed away recently, two very legendary, very veteran manga creators who also happen to be brothers, passed away within days of each other earlier in October. Sanpei Shirato, real name Noro Okamoto, and his brother, also manga artist Tetsuji Okamoto, passed away on October 8th and 12th respectively. Shirato in particular passed away at the age of 89. We have not gotten much of these creators' works over here in the West. However, Sanpei Shirato in particular was a major player in Gekiga and the formation of the Garo magazine and avant-garde manga. And his Legend of Kamui manga was definitely a bona fide classic. And that was brought over by Viz in the late 80s, early 90s, long out of print. But it has often been said and it has been written up of Shirato that his works were 
very trailblazing in terms of their like political themes that they're very very steeped in socialist commentary and exploring class struggle and redefining like the era of samurai and samurai as like a you know oppressors of presence and then like playing with the you know political ass structures in feudal japan and his works and also his art in terms of his style was known for incredibly choreographed martial arts fight and super ferocious violence of really really staunchly anti-capitalist worldview so it was a compliment to kind of the the revolutionary leftist movements of japan at time that his works were being created is very steeped and reflective of that culture and inspirational to that culture and i mean matt alt considers sanpei's works to be up there with golgo 13 and tomorrow's joe as like kind of being these huge pillars of counterculture work uh in the realm of manga in the 70s 80s so yeah like his work has huge historical importance in addition to just being like great in of itself and it's also not that like in terms of the action that you draw like a lot of that is super intellectual you've probably seen it like imitated and inspired a lot of different things like kind of this pile driver drop move is something that he kind of innovated in his series and that's something you've probably seen in a lot of different series since so you know he was definitely like a very very influential important uh, creator in the realm of manga and it's a shame we don't have a lot of his works over here but alas it's just again a very sad thing to lose yet another very veteran creator another pair of really veteran manga creators as we've lost so many this year and my heart just goes out to them their family and their friends and in honor of both them and of Cursaris, let us just take a moment of silence in respect to their memory This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 181. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lauren Romayasha, and today we've got another news roundup for you folks, recapping all sorts of new serialization news, new licensing news, and we even got a new song club courtesy of the end, Neo Nakatani's new series, God Bless the Mistaken, we'll be chatting about too. So, a really cool show for you guys, recapping all the cool newest developments in manga this past month. Yes, yes, it is once again time to talk about more news, as we do at least once a month. And uh, I think we could just go ahead and get right into it this time. And uh, first off, we are going to, as always, talk about the latest New York Times graphic books and manga list for October 2021. And uh, starting at the bottom here, as far as manga goes, all the way at number 11, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Volume 1 ranking there. 
Afterwards, we have Volume 1 of My Hero Academia ranking at number 6, along with Volume 29 ranking at number 2, and uh, that's really about it for all the manga on the list. Only three volumes this time around, most of them My Hero Academia, by default here, uh, and yeah, I mean, My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer, both very popular right now. My Hero Academia always does very, very well. As we can see, the latest volume is very high up on the list, as usual. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there's really anything else to say about the list unless we just want to get right into uh, the book scan list. Yeah, I mean, this really just continues to show the sustaining power of MHA and Demon Slayer in the marketplace as the book scan list also shows us. Yeah, we might as well just get right into that. And we'll start off once again with My Hero Academia because uh, volume 29 uh, ranks at number one with volume one ranking at number two. Volume 28, ranking at number 4, Volume 2 at number 9, and Volume 3 at number 17. So, a lot of My Hero Academia on the list, as per usual. Again, not much else to say there. Like usual, we're seeing the uh, the, the usual pattern with new fans keeping up with new volumes, and, uh, or I should say old fans keeping up with new volumes, and uh, new fans uh, buying old volumes. So, there you go. But also, just to kind of get back to Demon Slayer, because Volume 1 of Demon Slayer Kibetsu no Yaiba ranks at number three, with volume 23 ranking at number six. And yeah, again, Demon Slayer also does very well. Glad to see that volume one is finally kind of back in print, because I know it took a long time uh, for printers to, you know, get around to printing new copies of those. I, I can only imagine, I guess, how long these volumes in particular will stay in print, you know, just kind of due to the, uh, to the state of things right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but just to kind of talk about everything else on the list, uh, next up we have Berserk, Volume 8 at number 5, which is the only volume of Berserk on the list right now, but I believe is the newest volume of the Deluxe Edition in particular. Always nice to see Berserk on this list, and uh, yeah, Berserk going very strong, so that's pretty cool. Uh, next up we have Toiletbound Hanako-kun, Volume 1 at number 8. Toiletbound Hanako-kun being Yen Press's most popular title at this point. A lot of people always getting into it. I really have to read Toilet Bound Hanako-kun at some point. I constantly hear a lot of good things about it. Oh, yeah, it's excellent. Uh, it's funny. Uh, so just a small anecdote real quick. Um, my roommate is a manager at Spencer's, and uh, they're not really like as into anime and manga as much as most people are right now. But, you know, they do have a lot of they do get a lot of like anime and manga related stuff. Like I think they actually they're actually like selling manga at their store right now. And uh, they came home right one night from work, and they were like, "Hey, have you guys heard about this like toilet bound Hanako Kun? What what's it called or whatever?" Uh, it was just it was just kind of funny to to ha have them. They 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 ask me about like all the popular stuff because like I'm the one in the house that like keeps up with all this stuff, obviously, or whatever. So you know, um, so it's it's just kind of interesting to hear like what these stores like Spencer's and Hot Topic are carrying because it's like. I've said this before. If you're if you're carrying merchandise in stores like Hot Topic and Spencer's, you know you've made it to the mainstream. Like I think that's a pretty telling sign of how certain properties are doing. But that that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, Toilet Bound really has broken through and is now up there with a lot of these other like very popular titles that are like consistent sellers because people are constantly getting into them. 
Which makes sense. It has a lot of mainstream penetration appeal, considering the types of series that break out over here in the market. And it's a really, really good series that I'm really enjoying and glad to see more people continue to support read, And hopefully that support uh, translates to us getting a season two of the anime one of these days, too, which would also be cool. But yeah, glad to see the series is doing really, really well. Mm hmm. Uh, next up, we have Dragon Ball Super Volume 14 at number 10. Dragon Ball Super, I mean, it's it's Dragon Ball. It's not going to not do well, you know. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, we have Chainsaw Man on the list with Volume 2 at number 11 and Volume 6 at number 18. Chainsaw Man, again, another series that I, th- I think the only thing keeping it from doing even better, uh, you know, not just because of all the other titles on the list that are doing as good or better than it, but like also due to the fact that like certain volumes of the series are, st- I think are still awaiting reprints at the moment as far as yeah. the, I, last time I checked anyway. As an everyone that's been selling out. It's just so crazy to see Chainsaw Man doing this well, even before, like I'm really interested in seeing what the reaction, the Chainsaw Man and how much better it's going to do. Like when the anime finally actually premieres, like I think that's going to be insane. Yeah. I can only increase its profile. Uh, next up, we have our usual Junji Ito stuff with uh, his newest work, Sensor, at number 12, along with uh, Tomie at number 19. I can only imagine on the next book scan list we talk about, uh, because that's obviously going to track like sales for October, I can only imagine like how much Junji Ito is going to be on that list, probably. Um, there's a chance of it anyway. And then next up, this one's kind of a nice little surprise return here. Uh, since this title has also been on the list at least once or twice now at this point. Uh, We have Volume 6 of Given at number 13, which, again, you know, Given is is a pretty special place on this list because, you know, it's I think it's the only BL title that's ever, like, ranked on this list, as far as I know, anyway. As far as I recall, but no, given it's great to see a BL series perform as well as like these uber popular shonen titles. I'm glad that a queer series, a BL series, is this successful among like the mainstream and is like one of the most popular titles being bought right now. Mm-hmm, for sure. So speaking of like, you know, Visit Sublime titles, I'm kind of surprised that Dick Fight Island hasn't like appeared on this list, but like... I, I kind of wonder if maybe it like does better like you know online or something more so than bookstores because I know books can only uh, you know tracks certain data and everything. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case because I know that I'm pretty sure that did pretty well for them, but I'm sure Given probably does like that much better compared to it. Probably I can only assume. And then next up, speaking of uber popular shonen titles, we have uh, Jujutsu Kaisen with Volume Eleven. At number 14 and volume one at number 16. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen also does very, very well. Uh, I probably said it before, but I would not be surprised if we get like an influx of sales with for uh, volume zero in particular once that movie comes out. Uh, next up, another usual suspect with Attack on Titan volume one at number 15. Always on the list. Not much to say there. Uh, and then last thing on the list, we have Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess volume nine at number 20. Um, I feel like we haven't seen a volume of Legend of Zelda on here in a bit, but again, another usual suspect. We see it on this list, you know, from time to time. The people really love their Legend of Zelda and their Legend of Zelda manga. So there you go. And yeah, I don't know if I have like a lot of other like stray thoughts on this list, unless you have anything else you want to add out there. 
A nice diversity of titles. There are like 12 different series on this list. Still very Viz dominated, but of course we got Berserk and Tobot Hanako in there. So we're seeing uh, some representatives from other publishers. But at least even on the Viz side, we're seeing a little bit of uh, diversity in terms of different types of things. Like what would give in and what would the Ito works. Also ranking alongside the big Shonen stuff. So that's really nice to see. And once again, it's a you know nearly 100% manga-dominated list. So it just continues to show the power of manga in the marketplace and just how much it sales it's driving. Mm-hmm. The, the only other thing that like made this list that wasn't manga was, uh, was a Batman slash Fortnite collab. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if there's anything that can compete with manga, it's Batman and Fortnite and the combination of the two. How much you want to bet at some point we're going to get, like, a Fortnite manga? I'm surprised there isn't one already, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm sure it is inevitable. I mean, we've got the Minecraft ripoff manga, so, you know, there'll be a Fortnite ripoff manga, if not an official one, I'm sure. That has to come at some point, but, um, yeah, that's really about it for our list and stuff, uh, and I think we should just head on into serialization news. Indeed. And we're starting off with a new series by a returning creator, Koji Kumeta. You may know them best as the creator of Sayonara Setsubo Sensei and the recent series Kagushi Goto, which just got an anime and a complete digital release from Kodansha USA. But they're not working with Kodansha for the time being. They have moved to Shonen Sunday to start a new manga called Shibuya Near Family. This series has already started serialization, but hey, I think you can head over to our friends Takagi's Sunday Treads for some more thoughts on the series. But yeah, like, it's cool to see Kumita come back with another work, and it's interesting to see them switch from Kodansha to Shigaku-Kan. So I'm looking forward to seeing how their new works turns out. And with any luck, uh, hopefully we'll get it over here translated for too long. Hopefully. Um, I saw a lot of people excited for this. Um, I really need to like check out the Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei manga. I've also heard really good things about Kagashi Goto as well. So mm-hmm. Really love Kometa's sense of humor. And both series are really great. So highly encourage them. And yeah, I... Love to see another Kubeta series uh, get localized. Hopefully this one does pretty well. Hopefully. So now we're going to move on into some spinoff charity. And first off is uh, an interesting topic for a spinoff. It's a Fist of the North Star spinoff that's going to be about the character Amoeba, who in the series considers himself a genius because he can learn any fight he's now faster than others. And so this series is basically an Isekai premise where after he was defeated by Kenshiro on the original he and dies, like he wakes up in another world he's gonna begin a new adventure. So yeah, and the full title of this story is wonderfully ridiculous. This is North Star side story genius and meet is another world overlord legend. Even if I go to another world I'm a genius, huh? Was I mistaken? So <laughs> <laughs> I love how long and convoluted that title is. And yeah, uh, this series will be written by Sakura Nishiki and drawn by Nato Gohan. And yeah, I think it's a funny premise for a Fist of North Star spinoff. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it comes about. It's going to be running in Comic Simon. Uh, I mean, Amoeba as a character is one that like, I only vaguely had remembered that. Oh, yeah, he was the he impersonated Toki. Like, that was that oh, guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I 
did not remember this character at all. Um, but I do like the idea of an Isekai Fist of the North Star manga. That actually yeah. sounds really, really funny. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like, I'm looking for this. Uh, I'd love to see it localized. And, yeah, I mean... This is sounds like a very fun Fist of the North Star project. Everybody start buying that uh, release of Fist of the North Star from Viz. Maybe they'll pick it up. Maybe it's a 0.1% chance that could happen. Mm-hmm. And on the subject of like classic uh, 80s hard-boiled manga series getting spinoffs, uh, let me mention before that the JoJo spinoff about Josuke was in the works. And indeed, it is going to be launching in December in the January issue of Shueisha's Ultra Jumping Scene, which comes out on December 18th. And it is actually going to be a prequel to Part 4. So it's going to take place before, you know, Josuke even named his stand Crazy Diamond. As in before, it's going to be written by Koi Kodano, who's the writer of the Boogie Pops and other series, and the light novel Jojo Golden Wind. And it's going to be drawn by the artist of No Guns Life, Tasaku Karasuma. And of course, uh, the other part of the premise is that you know, Josuke apparently meets Whole Horse uh, in this prequel series. So we'll see uh, how that <laughs> that dynamic, that relationship will pan out. So another one very much looking forward to. would love to see Viz uh, do a sign-up project for it. But we'll see. Hopefully. I love the idea of Whole Horse possibly just, like, passing through Morio Cho. That, yeah. that's, that's pretty funny. Um, I would love to read this. I hope, I really hope Viz picks this one up. Um, is it okay if I talk about the next one real quick? Sure. Uh, so this one's pretty interesting. So in the December issue of Akita Shoten's Champion Red, there was a bit of a teaser in that issue that the magazine will be publishing a special project by none other than Masami Kuramada, who you may know as the author of Saint Seiya and Reini Kakiro, as, amongst a bunch of other titles. Um, and that's going to be published in the February 2022 issue, which will be shipping on December 18th. Uh, the manga teases the shocking project as a Christmas gift and a new frontier, quote unquote, for Kuramata. So not much other information to go off on there. We don't even know if it's like Saint Seiya related or anything. It would be really interesting if it wasn't, though. Like if this was just like a completely new series from Masami Kuramata, like I'm I'm really interested in seeing what this is going to end up being. Yeah. Curious to see uh, if it will be a new series from him. He's basically kind of just been like playing around with sequels with his older works like Saint Seiya and Togazaka. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see like a new, completely new story for him come out. And then next up, uh, this was pretty interesting. I wasn't expecting this. So uh, Katakawa revealed recently that Keichi Arawi will be resuming his Nichijou manga in the December issue of Monthly Shonen Ace. Uh, I guess by the time you're listening to this, it's already started, but... Uh, Arawi apparently stated on Twitter that uh, he just wanted to draw more Nichijo. So he just started it up again, which is pretty <laughs> neat. Um, because I, I was just kind of under the impression that like Nichijo had like just ended, ended, which I guess it did. But like, you could you could just kind of do whatever with Nichijo. Yeah. Well, well, the kind of series it is, you could easily come back to it. Yeah, but um, that's pretty cool. I know a lot of people are really happy about this. And you know, I know a lot of people really love Arawi's work, and uh, I, I'd be interested in seeing if, like, these new chapters of Nichijou get picked up at some point. Oh, I'm sure they will. Nichijou was a very good seller for Vertical, so okay. I'm sure that once these come out in collected volume, like, they'll come out over here. But I guess we should get into stuff that's uh, possibly ending soon. Indeed. So we knew Trendstar Exorcist was in its final arc, however... 
now we're learning that it's going to be like segments in three different parts. So the first part of the final arc is going to end with the chapter that's going to come out in November. And then there are going to be two more parts, quote unquote, after that. And that kind of makes sense, I guess, in terms of dividing this final arc up into acts and the current act we're in. Yeah, I could totally see this being kind of the a first kind of like turning point checkpoint for this last gasp of the story so yeah i mean i'm just curious to see like where the series will continue to go in terms of the conclusion certainly a very intense year for it uh, in terms of stuff that happened in the series so yeah i'm just uh looking forward to where it goes as a fan and follower of the series and it's not the only series that's entering its final arc, though, because Kaguya-sama has announced that it will also be going into its final arc. And we don't really have any more details about how long that'll be. But I can gladder from, like, people who keep up with and follow the series that uh, I could see a certain direction of, like, where it could go. So, yeah, I'm interested in seeing how it'll turn up and interested and look forward to seeing how it'll conclude. Similarly, Fire Force, we knew that is like entering its last stage or final stage, but now we are have the confirmation that it is in its final arc and it's going to definitely head into inclusion. Again, from people who are keeping up with recent chapters, like I could definitely see like where it's going to go from here and like how it is starting to wrap up into its end game. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing how the series ends. From what I've seen of like things that have been going on, it definitely went in like a super interesting psychological kind of meta direction that I appreciate. So I'm looking forward to seeing like uh, how it will end up uh, ultimately, like what the ultimate like kind of takeaway is. Because, you know, well, Kuo plans this to be like a swan song in terms of like his manga career. So yeah, I'm curious to see what note he's going to go out with in terms of like how he finishes the series up. I've definitely seen pages here and there, and honestly, like... Truthfully, the pages that have been shared on Twitter are, like, the the worst bits with all the Tomiki, like, justifying, like, her Lucky Letcher thing, and then criticizing this, like, straw man character that was commenting on the fact, oh, this is a nameless background character that's criticizing this, who cares? And, like, oh, you're just sexually oppressed <laughs> after you're criticizing this. That's, like, the worst part the first pe- section of this final arc story. But there's, like, been other stuff that, like, I've seen shared by people and people have been talking about in regards to the final arc that is actually interesting in terms of, like, characters having, like, this introspective, psychoanalytical kind of uh, crisis that they've kind of had to work through and overcome. And then, like, again, all this other meta angle about, like, the world of Fire Force and hope and despair and whatnot. So, like, yeah, the, those pages that got viral and shared around, those are, like, the worst parts of, like, the final arc that's been going on. But this isn't, like, utter stuff that is very interesting. But yeah, I would call out of Kobo for, like, that very cringeworthy, like, sequence with Tomaki and what he's trying to justify that is like come on get over yourself man you're the one who's created this series and is trying to basically have an excuse to draw this fan service you don't need to double down and say oh no it's the reader who is wrong for being sexually repressed and critiquing nudity because nudity is natural is like no well not in the way you're doing it man no you we just we just we as readers just don't understand you, you have to have a high iq to re- understand fire force mm-hmm. um no but i i was thinking about like those more psychoanalytical pages where it's like i think okubo is just like drawing from like like real photos and stuff in his yeah. work 
th- th- those I thought were really interesting. Obviously, I, I don't have any context for them because I haven't really been keeping up with Fire Force. But um, it does make me want to like get back to it at some point because we we did talk about that first volume like a like a while back at this point, and I would love to like maybe revisit it like the series as a whole at some point i think that'd be a fun episode to do yeah when fire force ends i definitely think it's a series uh i'd be interested in covering on the show like i have like a mixed feelings on it but mostly towards the beginning i think it takes like a long time to really get into its groove Mm -hmm. like i really and I I criticized the anime when we were on Manga Machination talking about the anime for like 2019 or whatever. Yeah. And it was like, this was one of the most disappointing shows I watched because I didn't, I felt the storytelling was just not all there. And then in the second season, the second season was like a huge improvement. Like, oh, okay. Now the story is like really starting to come cohesive. I'm like okay. understanding Okubo's themes and like it's toned down some of the things that I really didn't like, although it hasn't completely improved. Comic is a character I don't think ever really improves in a satisfying way. But, no kidding. Yeah. I do think though that I've have grown to appreciate it more and I am like very especially like having followed on with like what people have been reacting to in the final arc and like the shared discord servers and where people have been talking about it, it's like okay yeah I'm I'm on board with like what Okubo is like trying to do ultimately and I'm interested in uh fully evaluating the series start to finish so mm-hmm. I've been mostly watching the anime I thought the first season was pretty fine like I enjoyed it but so I, I haven't like started the second season yet but uh from, from what you're telling me yeah that that sounds pretty cool um I mean in general I think at some point we just need to cover Okubo's work in general because I gotta be honest I would love to talk about Soul Eater when we have the chance honestly I really need to read through Soul Eater yeah absolutely like I am I was a big fan of Soul Eater so I do want to revisit that series and reevaluate it because there are some things especially about early for Soul Eater and in regards to like Okubo's kind of problem with exploited a fan service that is in the Soul Eater manga that it's worth evaluating but then there's also a lot of strengths to his writing and his review on the themes he likes just for that I still really appreciate and I still really love about Soul Eater and there are a lot of stuff that really takes with me. So yeah, it's definitely a series I would love to revisit, reevaluate on the show. And in terms of another series that is ending, the Pokemon Journeys manga has been announced it's going to be coming to an end and the final volume will come out in November and it's like, oh, the series is kind of short-lived for an adaptation of the ongoing anime. But this is releasing the manga, it's first one is coming out next month, so that'll be like a short pickup. Uh, I'm looking forward to the take on it. It's from, of course, Sancho To Gomi, who's done a lot of Pokemon and manga adaptations. So yeah, looking forward to reading this one, like uh, if it's wrapping up early, like how much it ended up covering. Or whether, like, it made up its own ending. And that about does it for serialization news. So now we'll go into licensing news. Now, before we get into our licensing list, because once again, there were quite a few licenses announced, so we won't go over everything, just the highlights. There are some straight things we all mention on top. First off, uh, we mentioned that we're going to be covering God Bless the Mistaken at the end of the show, but Yen is also doing another simulpub that's going to be launching, and it's already launched by the time you're listening to this, called Sugar Apple Fairy Tale. And this is a series that's uh, an adaptation of the light novels by Miki Mikawa and Aki, and 
It is being done by Yorza no Udon. And yeah, basically, this is uh, the premise of the series is that it's set in a kingdom called Highland where fairies serve humans. The protagonist is a girl named An, whose mother recently passed away. So she decides to carry on the family trade and become a silver sugar master who is an artisan that can create magical candy. And she goes on a journey with her foul marked fairy bodyguard Charles. So, this series actually had a previous manga adaptation on Hanatsunumi Online a few years ago, but now this is a new anime uh, manga adaptation, and it's also getting an upcoming anime adaptation, so it makes sense that there's like a new manga uh, adaptation to tie into that as well. And yeah, so this is running uh, in Japan in Katakos Young Ace, and it'll be Simulpub starting November 3rd, available like Bookwalk or Comixology, wherever you can get Yen Simulpub. So yeah, this is a interesting premise, another cool to see Yen doing another Simulpub on top of Goblin's Mistaken. So this is probably one we'll cover in the next news roundup, and uh, looking forward to seeing what it's like and what it's about. I like the cover art a lot, and the design of the main heroine. In addition to that, uh, before we get into like a main licensing this, Right Stuff has achieved their goal to reprint Aria in their masterpiece editions. So those will come out and you'll be able to get that individually and in a complete series bundle. So yeah, you can basically pick those up next year starting on May 31st, 2022. That's when like all the reprinted volumes in the bundle will come out. And it's worth doing that if you want to pick up the Aria manga, this is basically your last chance because this is going to be like the final run and future printing of the series are going to be unlikely so last chance to grab the aria manga in a really nice uh, edition and now we'll get into kind of our licensing list of all the new licenses that uh, were announced in the past month that some highlights we want to talk about do you want to start off or want me to um why don't you go ahead and start off this time Okay, so I'll start off with 7C. 7C has been doing this tradition every week where every, like, Wednesday they announce, like, three new licenses. So over the past month, they've managed to announce a lot. So here are a few highlights that I want to go over. First is a series called His Majesty the Demon King's Keeper, which is going to come out May 2022 from creators Dorian Kajiyama running in uh, Monthly Princess Magazine. This series is about a girl who is a real neat freak, you know, really loves tidying things up because, you know, she's on her school's beautification committee. She spends every moment trying to make things neat and tidy and perfect. But then she's like transported to another fantasy world and she's like flabbergasted of how dirty everything is because the land is ever a curse that prohibits cleaning magic so everyone's just let things go and even the Demon King's castle a complete mess. But Sakura, you know, isn't going to stand for it. She's going to put the kingdom in order, even if it means working directly under the demon king himself. So I think this is a funny little premise about, hey, this, like, girl who, like, just really, really likes things neat and cleaning, like, basically kind of strong around the everyone in this fantasy world to be like, no, you gotta tidy this up. And even if you can't use magic, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. And I think the art and designs look quite cute. So, yeah, this is one that... I'm kind of looking forward to coming out next year. I'm also looking forward to another similar kind of fantasy type series and another series from Cool Kushinja, creator of Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. And that's the Ititan Deities Only No Peace. This is going to come out in April 2022. And it's about basically these powerful Ititan Deities who were sealed away, the demons who plagued humanity like 800 years ago. 
And then this is like a story that's been passed down throughout the years. And the protagonist, who's like a foul mouth like kid, thinks it's like mostly a myth. And for this new generation of like idol deities, like there's not much for them to do aside from watching over humans in peace. But then the seal on the demons breaks, so now it's up to Hydro and his, you know, compatriots to come to humanity's rescue. And so will like these misfit gods who know nothing of war rise to challenge, or it's a demon threat to the human world, like too much for them to handle. So as is the case with Kulkishin, it's like a kind of funny take on like supernatural and fantasy tropes and phenomena. So I think that it's has a little fun premise to it, and yeah, oh, I enjoy Kulkishin's works a lot. So looking forward to seeing how this one turns out too. Looking forward to it coming out. And next, the Seven Seas has two Yuri works that I'm really excited for. First up is Sile Zhang's Black and White Tough Love at the Office, which is going to come out in June 2022. Basically about an employee of this high-level bank who is, like, super respected and admired, except for a new colleague of hers. And she has to train this colleague, and it does not go well because they have a very, very bizarre love-hate relationship that results in either, like, office uh, attacks, like, that are very violent or, like, very angry <laughs> lesbian hate sex. <laughs> and when a sincere conspiracy seems to fun at their bank, like, they have to work together, uh, and they have to try and stop having their bruised hate sex on piles of documents and, like, <laughs> team up to investigate. So, it's a provocative, hard knocks LGBT drama, and I'm here for it, but I'm here for some, like, kind of violent, messy, uh, type of relationships. That's always, like, a fun kind of thing to have, and and yeah, like, uh, I think it seems very fun with, like, with the designs of these protagonists and, like, how, you know, they come to blows and then they blow each other, which, is, <laughs> you know, I think that's very funny. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. This was definitely a candidate for my list, but I, I decided to let you have it because mm-hmm. this is I, I'm looking forward to this one, too. It sounds really, really good. Absolutely. And I'm also looking forward to Takashi Edeta's, uh, the two of them are pretty much like this. That's coming out from some disease in April 2022. It's from Edeta, the creator of Whispered Word, which was a really great Yuri series and that I really enjoyed. And yeah, so this series is about a 30-year-old and 20-year-old who are roommates. And the 30-year-old is like a professional writer and the 20-year-old is like a voice actor who's building up a reel and they've worked together and they're living together and they're in love with each other and they have a nice life for themselves so it's like a story about this couple and like a heartwarming tale about like their everyday humor stresses and joys of sharing a life together and yeah i think again just like with black and white i just appreciate some more yuri with adult protagonists and i think the premise of this in terms of like oh they are a little bit apart in years but you know they're both adults and they're also from two different like professions and so it's seeing interesting how like how they kind of work off each other with both like kind of a, a somewhat of a generational gap but also somewhat of a you know like career difference and like how that might affect them other. and yeah like i i think that seems like a really interesting premise and i like you know a lot of the central relationship with whisper so there's like some things that in regards to like the cross-dressing character in whisper words that didn't quite hold up but i think like there was still an empathetic perspective to them so i, I do trust the case of creator ultimately at a lot of things so yeah i'm looking forward to reading another work of theirs 
My last uh, Seven Seas thing I'll mention is a ghost ship title, actually. And that's Ikado Ito's I'm Not Me, Get Your Filthy Paws Off Me. And that's going to come out in June 2022. And this is about, like, a handsome guy who is really nervous around horny girls. And in his eyes, they're like wild beasts attacking their prey. And so it's like an outlaw on the sex time that explores the feral nature of sexuality witnessed through the eyes of a man who sees himself being stalked by sexy beasts. So it's like literally like a literal cougar manga, <laughs> essentially. And based on the cover, I think like literally he does see a lot of these women as like predatory animals. So I think that has like kind of a fun potential to it. Obviously it's towing the line between the comfortability of like how aggressive these characters are. I would like to think that the perspective is just that this guy is really kind of nervous and self-conscious and then over the course of the story he'll like learn to like grow out and not be like as afraid of like women's sexuality. So it's like kind of a toss up to me. Like I I'm not sure of like whether it what direction it'll go in, where it'll go in a problematic direction. However, I think there's enough potential in the premise and what it could say about exploring sexuality, about like kind of exploring kind of this fear of engaging with sexuality and like feeling that you might be pursued in a predatory way. Like I think it could navigate those ideas in an interesting way. And so I'm going to keep an eye out for it. And that's why I decided that, oh, yeah, I'll mention this. This is an interesting title, even if I don't know where I will land in it when I read it. I don't know what direction I'll go in. And speaking of monsters, that'll bring us to our Yen Pass title that I want to shout out. And that's Monster Boo. This comes from Yuya Takahashi for the story and Tally for the art. And it's about a girl who has sought this exterminate monsters after a monster killed her mother but then she meets a monster who defies her expectations and not only does she end up fighting alongside him like she asks him to be her boyfriend so i think that kind of sounds like a very cute like kind of monster boyfriend type manga so yeah and i think i like the design of the the monster dude like he kind of I would not be surprised if there's some big Hero 6 kind of inspiration in the sign. Probably, but, yeah. yeah. no, I think it sounds like it has a lot of potential to be very cute and very funny. Also on the subject of monsters, let's get into the Viz Media titles that I want to shout out. And of course, starting off, I have to mention this. I mean... Not only am I able to, I'm really excited about it. It's the Yashihime manga adaptation by Takashishina, creator of Zetaker and Children and Ghost of Kami. Yeah, the manga adaptation has already been licensed by Viz. It's going to be coming out in summer 2022. And yeah, like uh, I've already talked about anecdotally, like some thoughts I've heard from folks who have uh, been checking out the manga. And it's a very different take from the anime, some differences in the characterizations, some difference in the very premise of it. So I'm really curious to see where Sheen is going with it. And it sounds up my alley with like the, the adaptational changes that he's made. So yeah, like I'm really excited for it, especially because this is going to be the first Takashi Sheena manga that's uh, ever really been localized and brought over here. So, yeah, I'm very excited for it on two fronts. It both being like a new take on Yashihime that is going to be telling a different story than that of the anime. And also like the first like Takashi Shina to be like officially localized over here. 
I'm also looking forward to Crazy Food Truck by Rokuro Agaki. This has kind of like a short blurb to it that doesn't say too much, like Zero Customers, Naked Lady, Arm Militia, Another Day for this post-apocalyptic food truck order. But, you know, that premise alone is enough to intrigue me of like what this series is going to be like, what it's about, and the cover art looks quite intriguing. And so, yeah, I, this is also one that I heard a lot of people super excited about, too. So it has quite a good reputation behind it. So this is one that I'm definitely looking forward to. And I think it's one that will be one to keep an eye out next year. Because a lot of people were really excited that an Ogaki work has finally been kind of lost since the brought over. Next, uh, of course, I this is probably the Viz license that I'm really most excited about and that's Two Strips of Fresh which is a short story collection from Odo Toda that explores its protagonist who is a trans boy like setting out to remake himself as his own image discovering that more than just personal freedom with his transition he finds understanding from people who matter most and yeah this is a series that uh, in our Blue Flag discussion Ace had kind of brought up as like kind of a really promising new title that was kind of being serialized on Jump Plus and one to look out for in terms of like the the kind of cornerstone one shot in this collection and since then i've been really wanting and excited to read it i'm glad that it's been localized and not only that ace will be doing a letter in the series and tristan felix is going to be the translator so much like boys and riot they're really assembling like a great uh all trans localization team to work on the series so I appreciate that a lot. And yeah, this is one that I'm really excited for. Like to see yet another great series that'll have great transmit rap. And like the pages that have been shared on social media, like in particular the scene where the protagonist is like imagining himself, like just the fantasy of like being able to like cut off his breasts and like dough and just put him aside like that is one that i saw so many of my trans musicals like resonate with and like relate with so hard with just that specific fantasy so i think the author really cuts like a knife into like those feelings and those experiences so well uh so i'm, I'm really looking forward to reading this i'm really excited for this definitely my most anticipated for next year and then the final title that I want to shout out uh, this time is The Music of Marie, which is the newest series from Uzumaru Furia, and it's coming out from One Piece Books next year, next May on, like, May 17th, and, like, a big 500-page uh, uh, this book. And, yeah, like, Uzumaru Furia, like, they are the creators of Lightji Lich Club, uh, Ginkaku Picasso, No Longer Human. So I really enjoy their works in Gankaku Picasso in particular. So I'm looking forward to this. And it's basically about like a, a utopia that's protected by a Mekenyo goddess who like orbits the skies. And in this factory town, like underneath in this utopia, their protagonist like yearns for a particular person. But like there's only one person who like hears the music that the goddess plays so the person, the protagonist, like, yearns for, he's the one who can hear that music. And so will he be able to return, like, the protagonist's affection? Or is there something else that, you know, he's kind of destined to do because he can hear this, like, godly music? So, yeah, it seems like a really interesting story uh, that'll play with, you know, different themes of, like, love and has, like, a really imaginative, like, fantasy world. And I like Furia's art. I like his style a lot. So I'm definitely curious and looking forward to checking this one out. And of course, uh, One Piece Books is going to be putting us in, you know, pretty, uh, way, like, you know, omnibus editions. So I think that the release will also be really nice too. So really looking forward to this one. And that about does it for 
my licensing list, and there were other titles that I was really looking forward to that Colton uh, included on his. So, Colton, why don't you just take away on your list? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back to Viz for a little bit, because they definitely had some stuff that I'm really looking forward to, especially, um, I don't know, hmm, this might be like a bold thing to say, because I, I don't know if it's like the one I'm looking forward to the most, but... It is kind of the one that has my attention the most, uh, and that is Rooster Fighter from Shu Sakuratani. Uh, again, not, not much info about this one, but it's apparently about gi- giant demonic monsters that wreak havoc and level Japan's cities. While the citizens flee in terror, it's up to one brave rooster to stand his crown. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you couldn't be excited about this. Uh, this just speaks to me, and I want to read it. And I want to talk about it, maybe. We'll see. I'm just, I'm just, I'm so excited for this one. It just, it really sounds like the kind of thing that I can really get into. It is 100% up my alley. So just, just a a series that I've never really like heard of before, before this announcement. But again, definitely has my attention. Like, there's no way I'm not going to look into this. Um, So that's an easy, like, number one for me. The other ones I have listed from Viz are kind of easy, but like, you know, I can't help but be excited for these ones too, because, and I think we already knew about these ones, because I, I think this one was reported on by ICB2 in particular, you know, with all the like Marvel stuff that Viz is doing right now. But it has been confirmed that Viz is going to be releasing Marvel's Secret Reverse from Kazuki Takahashi. Obviously, you you may know him as the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh!, and it's basically, from what I remember, a comic about, like, Spider-Man and Iron Man and how they travel to Japan and basically has to fight, like, a villain that uses, like, card games to battle against them or whatever. Again, from the very little I've seen of it, like, in Japanese, like, obviously, I mean, first off, like, it's it's colored very, very well. I really love the way it looks. Like, um, I, like I think the, like, I think Kazuki Takahashi was, like, a, was, like, the best person to get for a Marvel thing because... Obviously, Takahashi loves American comic books, you know, and especially Marvel stuff, too. So I'm really looking forward to, like, reading this in English. And I'm just glad we get more Kazuki Takahashi stuff in English in general. I wish we would get more. He has has a lot of interesting stuff that isn't Yu-Gi-Oh! So, you know, the more Kazuki Takahashi we get, the better. The other easy title on my list is uh, Death Note Short Stories, which is going to be a new collection of one-shot stories about Death Note. And uh, yeah, I'm really interested in like what all this is going to contain because I'm I'm sure like the like the newest Death Note one-shot from a couple years ago is probably going to be on here. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, it, it's more Death Note. We both like Death Note and I'm I'm very excited to see uh, more Death Note come out from Viz. Like this, this was one of those things that was only like a matter of time. Um, but yeah, that's really about it for like all the Viz stuff. Oh, I should probably, uh, I forgot to mention that, uh, all these titles from Viz are going to come out basically next summer, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, but I do have some titles from Yen Press I want to highlight here, uh, starting with I Want to Be a Wall by Honami Shirono. That'll be coming out on April, 2022, in which Yuriko, an asexual woman, agrees to take in a husband to satisfy her parents which is how she finds herself tying the knot with Gakurota, a gay man in love with his childhood friend with his own complicated family circumstances, and so begins the tale of their marriage of convenience. So th- this definitely sounds like a really interesting, like, I guess, relationship to deal with. I don't know. Th- I, I just, I really like the idea for the premise of this one. Yeah, I'm very excited for this one. Like, if you hadn't picked it, like, this would have 
definitely be on my list. Like, it's one I'm really, really looking forward to. Mutual beer stores are always interesting in terms of, like, two queer people kind of, like, having a relationship together to hide their sexualities from the outside world, like, to avoid judgment by being in a quote-unquote, like, hetero relationship just to hide their own sexualities. And this sounds like another really, like, interesting take on that concept. And I am always here for, like, to see more asexual rep in media and to have a story centered on asexual protagonists is super exciting so yeah i am really looking forward to this like i think it could be potentially like a really really cool story about like sharing some intimacy starting in terms of keeping people's secrets but then also trying to hide your sexuality from others while still finding a way to like pursue it and then also yeah you know again just the the closes of and of having someone you could trust to keep your secret and then yeah, like, the, there's, there's a lot of really compelling themes that the series has the potential to explore really well. So I'm really, really excited for it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the kind of series like it has the potential to really tackle a lot of different ideas, and I'm very interested in checking it out. Next up, we have Let's Go Karaoke from Yama Wayama. Uh, that'll be coming out on April 2022, uh, in which Satomi, the president of his school's choir club, gets embroiled in a bizarre situation when he's asked by Kyoji, the Yakuza, to give him voice lessons. Surprisingly, Kyoji's quite serious and diligent in his practice too. Uh, as the two spend time together, where will this odd friendship take them? And uh, I would definitely call it odd because, yeah, this... Uh, look, I'm a sucker for anything involving Yakuza, so like this was an easy pick for my list, but like this is just a really interesting, cute, funny idea about this big, burly Yakuza guy being like, hey, can, can you give me like singing lessons or whatever? Like it's, It just sounds cute. I don't know. Something about it really kind of grabbed me. I think... Uh, I think this has the potential to explore like a legitimately like really cute, maybe even kind of wholesome friendship, possibly, that hopefully won't be weird and won't have any like weird age gap stuff because it's like an adult and a child, you know, I'm, I'm leaning positively that like, this will probably be a pretty cute series that I'm really looking forward to checking out. And then last but not least from Yen Press, uh, a title that I'm, I'm sure you probably would have put on your list too if I didn't pick it, but man, I had to pick this because this was one uh, I was not expecting to get picked up is Lost Lad London from Shingashima, in which a murder on the London underground and a mysterious bloody knife draw a regular university student and a grizzled New Scotland Yard detective into a web of crime and suspense. And, you know, uh, this one I've heard a lot of from our good friend Maxi, who you know, had been reading the series like in Japanese and has like posted about it a lot in the past uh, and it's really like been singing its praises. And uh, I, I feel like, uh, you know, causing a lot of people to like really pay attention to it where otherwise they wouldn't, I feel like. The, the this series is really interesting because like the art for the series is like not really a style that you normally see like in manga. Like it's, it's, it's really unlike a lot of like Japanese comics I've seen. Like it, it actually like looks really interesting and you know, the setting's very atypical for, for most manga, I feel like. Like, it's 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 really interesting, and, like, I really cannot wait to check this out. Absolutely. It seems really, really cool in terms of premise and super aesthetically interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it for Yen Press stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about some 7C stuff to kind of finish out my list here. Uh, first off, I'm going to start off with Name Kawasan Won't Take a Licking by Rie Atto. That'll be coming out on June 2022 in which, after putting up with years of bullying in junior high, Namikawa-san decides to make a preemptive strike when she starts in high school. Uh, her plan is to become a delinquent. 
Uh, at first, everything seems to be going great. Her classmates are terrified. Uh, but however, the head of disciplinary committee is unfazed. She's got her eye on Namikawa-san, and she refuses to look away in this explosive Yuri comedy. And uh, th this is definitely a Yuri series that I, I think I'm looking forward to. I really like the idea of this girl just kind of becoming a delinquent to, like, basically avoid bullying and this relationship she's going to have with uh, this other girl on, on the uh, disciplinary committee. It's a it, it's it's a dynamic that I can really get into. Uh, I think this sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm all here for, like, these Yuri with girls who, like, fighting each other and loving each other. This is another one that would have been on my list if you hadn't included it. Then, yeah, I'm super excited and looking forward to it. Because I'm also always up for Sukaban girls, too, so, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's probably not going to be as violent as the other one we mentioned, probably. No, I mean, the other <laughs> one has their bruised faces on the cover, this one. Uh, not, not as brutal on the top, but, yeah, no. Yeah. I think it could be a lot of fun still. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm sure it'll still be a lot of fun. Uh, next up, I want to mention Colorless by Kent. That'll be coming out in May 2022, in which a cosmic disaster changes the Earth forever, stripping away every last drop of color from the world. Mankind also changed. The familiar human face is almost forgotten in a world now populated wholly by mutants. Against the backdrop of a moody urban landscape, a lone wolf investigator named Avidia relies on both his wits and extraordinary gun to hunt down the world's last hidden scraps of color. Uh, he soon crosses paths with a very special girl, one who might just hold the key to bringing back what the world has lost. Um, so the premise, I don't want to say like it sounds typical, but like it, it sounds like an uh, like an okay premise at least. I The, the cover for this one kind of caught my eye more so. I just thought it looked pretty cool. And that was really about it, honestly. But otherwise, I, I think it could be like a fun, interesting read. Yeah, no, the premise and the essay experiment of it sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, we have Box of Light by Seiko Arisawa. That'll be coming out on July 2022, in which a quiet convenience store hovers on the boundary between life and death. Its faint glow in the darkness draws people towards it, uh, pushing them closer to the final purchase they'll ever make. And is that a monster in the magazine aisle? Uh, prepare for spooky creatures, cryptic employees, and an air of delightful dread in the supernatural mystery. And yeah, basically, this seems to be like a one-volume kind of collection of stories taking place in this magical convenience store. And uh, yeah, I, I saw a lot of excitement for this one, and uh, I just I just like the idea of the story. So yeah, it just it just seemed really interesting. I definitely want to check it out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last title I'm going to bring up is I Will Forget This Feeling Someday, uh, which is a light novel from Yoru Sumino, who uh, is the author of I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, which I haven't really read those stories, you know, admittedly, but this one sounded pretty interesting. Yeah, I've seen the live action film and the anime film, and I really like Pancreas. I think it's a very compelling story. I really need to get around to those eventually. But yeah, so this will be coming out on June 2022 with an early digital release to come before that in which Kaya lives an ordinary, boring life. Yet when a burst of dazzling light appears at a bus stop showing a vision of a girl from another world, everything changes. Through meetings in the dead of night, Kaya and the mysterious girl uh, strive to figure out the points of connection between their dimensions and maybe in the process fall in love. And yeah, this sounds like it just could be really interesting. Again, I haven't really dabbled into I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, and I really should. But like, yeah, I don't know. This this one just sounded kind of interesting. And uh, I think that's really about it for my licenses. I think overall, we, we both picked like really good ones, honestly. So 
Yeah, a lot to look forward to, a lot I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, just go, go check these out when they're available. Um, I'm very happy with the ones we uh, we picked out personally, but uh, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be about it for our licensing news, uh, if you want to hit on to what little industry news we have. Only one really industry piece to touch upon, and that is the former Shonen Sunday editor-in-chief, Takanori Chihara, stepped down after a six-year tenure and was replaced in position as editor-in-chief by Kazunori Oshima. And yeah, Ichihara like kind of said that the magazine had been like in a crisis for the past few years, but like, you know, it has dramatically improved their business performance during his tenure. So passing it on to the next generation to continue, hopefully, uh, another success. So yeah, we'll see where the future of something will go now with the new tenure of Oshima. Ichihara holds the record for being the second longest tenure of all the magazine's uh, editor-in-chiefs. The record holder was Kazuki Tanaka, who had the longest term, serving between 76 and 84, so an eight-year run. So, yeah, it's interesting to see, like, yeah, the current editor-in-chief of Sunday stepped down, the new one take their place, and I'm curious to see, again, what direction Sunday will go in now, because the tastes and interest of the editorial always shape the content of the magazine and what titles get curated in there. So yeah, I'm curious to see like uh, what direction something will go. Now on the subject of Sunday, one of its most veteran authors uh, recently got an accolade recently because the Harvey Awards had inducted Rumiko Takahashi into their Hall of Fame alongside other very esteemed new comics creators. Like Takahashi was like the only manga uh, creator, the only non-US uh, based artist to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year and very well deserved uh, I will think because of her esteemed career, her prolific career and how influential her works are and yeah, uh, it's really cool to see, like she's in the Eisner's Hall of Fame and now she's in the Harvey Wards Hall of Fame and I think that's definitely well deserved and that wasn't the only Harvey Award win or induction to talk about because Tatsuki Fujimoto's Chainsaw Man of course won Best Manga at the Harvey Awards Fujimoto even provided a statement for the award win, where he said, like, thank you for the insanely awesome award. It's the best award of any awards that exist in America. I consider this crude manga of mine, if anything, of any reward, but I plan to continue packing it full of all the things that I love. And if you ever happen to be handing out awards again, hit me up. Thank you very much. So, uh, very uh, nice little message from Fujimoto there. And yeah, I think that, you know, there was some stiff competition for the Harvey Award this year between it and Asadora, Boys from the Right, Remnants, Fighting Family. All of them could have deserved the accolade, but Chainsaw Man is quite a good pick and definitely deserving of the award. So yeah, very, very cool. And something that's also very, very cool that's coming up in terms of like, uh, New York based events like Geyser's or the Harvey Awards is Attack on Titan is having a manga gallery at Anime NYC. Basically, it's going to be a big gallery of like art and pages from Hajimizana and a message board for fans and from fans across the world. And yeah, it's still just going to be hosted during Anime NYC. And there'll also be like a campaign during the event where you can 
you know, use a hashtag thanks attack on Titan on various social media platforms to, you know, share photos and pictures and stuff related to the gallery. And they're going to be like posts that will be spotlighted on a wall of the manga gallery. So yeah, if you got a really popular social post, you could, uh, could be featured in the gallery uh, on, on that spotlight wall. So yeah, you know, I'm going to be at Anime NYC. I'll definitely check out this gallery. It seems really cool. And also something that is really cool, but you know, has been delayed for a while is Katsuhiro Tomo's complete works project. It has officially been announced, you know, originally it was intended to come out sometime this year, but the project it has now been announced from Kadaja will begin with a January 21st release. So yeah. It's uh, meant to release all of Hitomo's body of work since it's professionally debuted in 90, 1997, so, or 1971. So, yeah, I mean, it, this is a pretty, you know, long project because, like, you know, he's uh, written so many different series. But, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this, like, complete works uh, re-release project starting next year. And uh, hopefully, like, something similar can happen uh, overseas in terms of, like, a localized version of it. Ooh, I hope so, yeah. And now we'll go on to some movie news. And starting off, we got an announcement that Fruits Basket is getting, like, a compilation film. That'll be part prequel, part epilogue, and that'll be coming Japanese theaters in February. It's going to include the previously announced Kyoko and Katsuya story anime that was announced, but we didn't really necessarily know the format, whether it be OVA or film. And it looks like it's not long enough to be a film in itself, but it's going to be included in the film. And I'm going to assume like what the film is in terms of being compilation film. It's gonna it's it's gonna include these new scenes, uh this the adaptation of the Kyoko and Katsuya story. But it'll also include other backstory scenes that relate to that narrative of like Kyoko and uh, Toru's relationship, probably other stuff in regards to like backstory stuff and of all the characters and how they interacted and how their crops passed in the past so yeah i could definitely see them making a full-fledged prequel film out of like all those flashback scenes plus the kyoku and god's story and plus some of the new epilogue scenes uh, that are going to be written specifically for the film by Takaya, depicting events from after the end of the series so probably uh new scenes that are going to be like a framing device for these flashbacks kind of like on the manga the kyoko katsuya flashback was framed by like kyo telling the story because katsuya told uh or kyoko told him so i guess that similar thing could happen like maybe kyo will also narrate the flashback or string along the story together so yeah like uh i'm looking forward to this um i'm looking forward to seeing like this uh adapted like seeing this prequel film come together I wonder if Funimation, I'm sure Funimation might do a theatrical event for this because they were doing it for every, or they were trying to do it for every season. Of course, with COVID, like the ones for season two and three didn't quite work out, but I think that they definitely will try a theatrical event for this. So I would definitely love to see this in theaters as a big Fruits Basket fan. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing this be animated and seeing like, you know, how this compilation film will come together. Like, figure along some of the most heartbreaking emotional moments of his basket in terms of, like, all this backstory stuff regarding Kyoko and regarding, like, Toru and Yuki Kyo in the past. I don't know if they'll include, like, stuff with Yuki and Kyo in terms of flashback stuff, but, you know, because there's called Fruits Basket Prelude, I think they'll include a lot of that stuff as kind of relates to their interactions with Kyoko and Toru in the past and stuff. So, yeah, looking forward to that. 
Something else I'm looking forward to that's coming out soon, and we're going to get into like North American theatrical releases now that have been confirmed, is that Macross Plus is screening in U.S. theaters. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, Macross Plus, like, this has never been uh, officially licensed in, released in the U.S. before. But yeah, no, it's going to have a one-day theatrical screening in December, December 14th from Fathom Events. And basically, it's going to be the theatrical, like, movie cut of the OVA series. So, yeah, it's really cool. This is like a, the sequel to Macross. It takes place about the three decades after the end of the original series. And, yeah, like, this is a very beloved installment of the franchise. It's just super cool to that we're getting, like, an official Macross release in some form after so many years of really nothing because of the big rights hassles and complications between Big West Studio New and Harmony Gold. So now we're not just getting some Robotech and Finally, we're getting actual Macross, and it's going to be a big theatrical screening event uh, for Macross Plus, and I'm definitely excited and looking forward to this a lot. So yeah, this is a big, big win for Macross fans. Really exciting. Also coming to theaters this December is the SAO Progressive Film, which Funimation will be doing like a big theatrical release for. Tickets will go on sale in early November, so starting from November 5th, you'll be able to pre-order your tickets. It'll even have some IMAX screenings for probably the opening nights of the release. So yeah, I mean, Funimation, what a lot of their bigger franchise films has now been doing kind of fairly wide releases, so I wonder if this will fall in the same suit of MHA World Heroes Mission in terms of being released in probably north of 1,500-ish theaters, so perhaps... I. I imagine accessibility should be pretty good, especially if they're going to show it in IMAX and stuff, much like, you know, uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train. So, yeah, I have heard very good things about aggressive novels and how they kind of rewrite the story, frame it more from Asuna's perspective, and are basically like the author, like kind of going back and rewriting his earlier work and kind of making it a little better and fleshing out things and uh, exploring things a little more. So, yeah, like, I'm actually, even though I'm not the biggest SAO fan, I am interested in this, because I do like Ozzin as a character, and I do think, like, the seeing the story frame more from her perspective would be nice. So, yeah, I definitely will check this out here, so especially if, and I'm sure it's going to be, like, fairly accessible in terms of screenings. Other screenings to look forward to from Funimation is the final Eureka 7 High Evolution film. That should be coming to theaters in 2022. Now, the middle installment, the Anemone film, you know, I saw that when it was premiering at Anime Expo, but they didn't, they said they would do that theatrically, but they didn't end up doing it theatrically. So, I mean, at least they'll be doing this final one theatrically. And that should come out sometime next year. So, yeah. I mean, I've been waiting and looking forward to seeing, like, uh, the end of these kind of remake reboot trilogy. And uh, I'm curious to see how it'll end. Like, what direction they're going to take this conclusion. Because, you know, Anemone was a huge divergence after, like, the first film was basically part, like, you know, we had, like, this gorgeously animated, like, prequel bit. But then the rest of that film was, like, a compilation film of the show. And then rearing off into, like, the divergent point for this uh, series. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how, like, this new take on Erika 7 uh, is going to end. And uh, look forward to seeing it in theaters. And now uh, there's also, like, another big, big release to look forward to in terms of theatrical releases next year. And that is Bell from G-Kids. Uh, Mamoru Hosoda's new film is going to be coming out into U.S. theaters starting on January 14th, and that's one I'm really excited for. It's Hosoda's most successful film uh, financially in Japan, so very well received from audiences over there. 
a lot of people who have seen the film uh, do really, really like it. People are not necessarily seeing it to some of his best, but they are saying like it's a really, really good film from him that like they really liked. Uh, so I am looking forward to this a lot, and I'm going to be hopefully seeing it early at Anime NYC uh, later in November because they're having the like the U.S. premiere, well, not the U.S. premiere, but they're having like the East Coast premiere at Anime NYC. So I'm looking forward to it, and yeah, like uh, it's, it's been a while since Mirai, so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, a new film from Soda. Oh my god, yeah, this is gonna be so good. Um I, I, I love Hosoda's stuff as well, so I I really, really hope I have the chance to see this in theaters because I really want to see it. Indeed. And we also have, of course, updates on Dragon Ball Super Superhero at New York Comic Con earlier this year. We got kind of a new teaser trailer, we got update designs, and basically from that we can kind of glean some new details of the plot in terms of like the villains of this new film are basically going to be like a new resurgence of the Red Ribbon Army. And they've kind of, I guess, either they have created these new machines or they've, like, hired, like, some aliens from outside and inducted them into the army. But basically, they have, like, framed things to be like, oh, like, Goku, all the Z fighters, like, they are, like, bad guys. And they have sick these guys, Gamma 1 and 2, after them. So, yeah, I mean, the trailer, I think the CG animation looks pretty good, especially in the fight scenes. Certain designs look better than others, but I think overall, a lot of them work very well. I like that it's going to be focusing a lot on Pan. Piccolo's going to be a pretty prominent this one. We don't have a definitive, like, release date yet. We've got the note that it will come out in 2022, but, you know, uh, we don't know, like, when in 2022... Presumably, I, I think that we could probably see it in April, like uh, Battle Gods and Resurrection F came out in April. So we could see with the timeline an April release for this, uh, or if it takes it a longer, maybe it'll come out later in the year. But like, you know, during the NYCC panel, like there were messages from Nozawa and Furukawa, and they revealed that they had finished recording for the film. They finished all that post-production work on the, the voice recording. Mm. So that element of it is finished. So it seems like they still just need to finish like more of the animation stuff. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I am definitely I looking forward. It seems like it's going to be more of a comedy-focused film. It's going to be more like a family-focused film. So I'm really uh, interested and in looking forward to seeing this after like kind of a high-octane take with uh, Broly like it's you know I'm sure there'll be some like visual highlights in terms of the fighting of this but like I think that uh, something like focus kind of more on like you know characters like Pan and Piccolo and like something that's more focused on like the comedy aspect of Dragon Ball would be a fun thing to return to for this next film so yeah I'm looking for this a lot I can't wait for this movie I need this movie now I can't wait to see it that's all I have to say <laughs> yeah same here moving on from Theatrical anime to TV anime, Blade Runner Black Lotus has been announced to premiere on Tanami with an hour-long uh, premiere on November 13th. I'm very much looking forward to this. The trailers look really great. I'm a big fan of Blade Runner. And yeah, I think that the team behind this like has a good head on shoulders in terms of the creative vision. Yeah, I'm really excited for this and look forward to following it along. Then uh, we've got a big news in terms of like Disney entering the anime licensing game. And they've announced that they have acquired the streaming rights for Tatami Time Machine Blues, Blackheart Shooter, Downfall, and Summertime Branding Worldwide. 
So Walt Disney has a streaming rights to these shows worldwide. Disney Plus has been announced that they will be, you know, streaming these titles exclusively, like, in Japan. We don't know necessarily, like, whether these titles will stream uh, on Disney Plus worldwide. But since Disney has a light master license to them, like, I think that, you know, at the very least, if they're not on Disney Plus, they'll be on Hulu. So it's just interesting because, like, Disney is now getting the anime license game to the fact that, like, they have acquired, like, the exclusive licenses to these series. So... And uh, some of these series are not whom you expect. Like, they had, like, this Disney anime that is one of these titles that they had licensed. That makes sense. But, like, the Tommy Time Machine Blues and the Summertime Rendering are not titles you would have expected them to pick up. So, it's interesting. The streaming rights, uh, licensing rights to different series are definitely still being fragmented. Now that Disney's entering the game, it's interesting to see the ramifications of uh, where that'll lead. Mm-hmm. You know animes become big when Disney's interested. Mm-hmm. Isn't summertime rendering kind of supposed to be like a like a more... Is summertime rendering is like a murder mystery series. There's like a lot of graphic <laughs> violent deaths now. So it's not exactly something that I would think is like the family-friendly type of show for Disney+. Plus. But then again, yeah. The Simpsons is on Disney+. Plus. But The Simpsons has this image of being family-friendly, but like there's like a lot of sexual content and a lot of violent content on that that is like Ooh, uh, yeah. outside. And, you know, to be fair, that's also true of like the Star Wars films or even like MCU films. Or So it's, I don't know. I don't know if, if they'll put it on Disney+, Plus itself. At the very least, you know, Disney has the rights to these shows. Uh, they have the streaming rights for them worldwide. So they own Hulu. They'll put it on Hulu, if nothing else. So we will see. God, we, we live in the weirdest timeline, I, I must say. Like, I can't say I was expecting this. This is... I'm interested in seeing how this sh- how this will shake out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can I talk about the next thing real quick? Yeah. So this is really interesting. I think we mentioned it on the podcast before that the Detective Conan Wild Police Story spinoff is getting an anime adaptation, but uh, it seems like along with that, two other Detective Conan spinoffs are getting animated with Hanin no Hanzawa and Zero's Tea Time. Both got announced for anime adaptations at the same time. So I don't think we know for sure whether this will be like a tea, like whether these will be TV anime, if these will be like specials or something. I can't imagine they won't be TV anime. I mean, I guess we, I guess we'll have to see, but I'm very interested. I mean, Zero's Tea Time, you know, from what I hear about, like, how well it had done for Sunday in particular, I'm kind of surprised it's taken this long to get an anime for it. Um, Hani no Hanzawa, I'm really interested in an anime for it, because, like, based on the premise of that alone, because for those who don't know... Uh, Hanzawa is literally like a slice of life comedy thing about like the trademark shadowy figure person that you see in the Detective Conan manga. Um, so <laughs> I'm really looking forward to like seeing that animated. Like I-, I was really wanting to like take a look at that somehow, and I'm glad we hopefully will be able to. Absolutely. No, I'm looking forward to these. Like Hanin and Hanzawa, <laughs> it's just like a fun kind of parody premise for Conan to literally make a character of the silhouette guy. And Zero Two Time, like I enjoy what I read. I like I like Gamora a lot as a character, so I'm looking forward to both Wild well, Police Detective Story and then yeah, this Zero Two Time. And I'm interested in seeing like what time slot they're gonna be in, what format they're gonna be in. 
But yeah, it's interesting to see like there's going to be a bunch of anime adaptations of the spinoffs next year. Honestly, with how many breaks the Conan manga takes nowadays, I can't imagine that TMS has a lot of like material to work with. And yeah, I'm sure they could maybe use a break from trying to come up with a lot of like anime original stories for the main anime. So, you know, yeah, I mean, Conan's an interesting show is that they'll they're not afraid of doing reruns. Like, oh, yeah, they mix in reruns in addition to like the new episodes and stuff like that, because like the show just is such an institution in Japan that people watch it. So they're not as worried about the time slot, you know, faltering. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, uh, I am wondering if this will try and be substitutes for Conan off weeks or they're just going to be compliments to Conan uh, as time slot in Japan, like air, like after or before it. Mm -hmm. The the Conan power hour. I could see it happening. Mm Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping, like, these will get, like, simulcast as well. It'll be really interesting to see if the, if these get picked up. I think they will, because TMS really wants to push Conan as a franchise and as a property, so I think they'll want to get these, uh, on streaming services. And, you know, considering that Crunchyroll did pick up the Magic Kaito, uh, 1412 TV anime when that came out, I'm sure that, you know, this will find its way on there, too. That's true, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, something else I'm really looking forward to is that Bones, Studio Bones, announced recently that they are going to be producing a third season of the Mob Psycho 100 anime. I am super, super excited for this. They even did like a Twitter countdown where like they counted down over like 99 days up to this announcement, I think, which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm mostly keeping up with Mob through the anime. I haven't really read any of the manga but I, I do have a very vague idea of, like, how the manga ends and, like, where the story goes from where season two ended. So I'm I'm really interested in seeing, like, how they're going to tackle that. Especially since I don't think there's, like, a whole lot of manga to adapt at this point. So I could see this being, like, the final season of Mob. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm just excited for more Mob. And, yeah, I'm glad to see that they'll be including... if. Not completely sorry, like we're getting more of it. Because, yeah, the adaptation is just so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this shit week to week. It's going to be so good. Um, But I think that's really going to be about it for, like, all the anime news we have to cover. Indeed. And the last piece of news or miscellaneous stuff we want to cover is just that Viz did a Dr. Stone character popularity poll in September. And we've gotten the results of that. So just going through the top 10 first from bottom to top, we've got Taiju coming in at number 10. Dr. Zeno at number 9, Ukyo at number 8, Sakasa at number 7, Ryusui at number 6, Kawako at number 5, Suika at number 4, Chrome at number 3, Gen at number 2, and Senku at number 1. Very disappointing Kaseki did not get into the top 10 this time <laughs> when he was like number 2 in like the first character popularity poll. Oh, I remember that! <laughs> that was so good. But I mean, these are pretty expected, I feel, in terms of like who the pop- most popular characters in Dr. Stone right now are. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I am a little disappointed that Taiju's not in the top 5 because that's just my opinion. I love Taiju so much, but mm-hmm. that that's, that's my only criticism of the poll. Otherwise, yeah, I I agree, like, not not a lot of surprising placements on this poll. Like, most of these results are very much expected. Yeah. The only, and pretty in line with Japanese fans with the last poll, like, happened earlier this year. Like, the only really uh, shake us is that in the latest Japanese poll, Stanley and Yoga made it in instead of uh, Taiju and uh, Suika, but... Interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, just a little shake up there. So this week, uh, a little more popular with U.S. fans than Japanese fans, it would seem. But I mean, Suika and Taiju were like just outside the top ten in the last Japanese poll, so not too far behind. In terms of like the rest of the list, like some other close ones were like Sai was number eleven, Kaseki was number twelve, so he he barely just missed it. Why Man was at number thirteen, which. Okay, I guess just the concept of Wyoming is fun. I was just about to ask if they had been like revealed recently. No. <laughs> we don't know who Wyoming is, but I guess technically he he's been doing stuff, but we don't know who he is. Uh, he, he hasn't made a physical appearance. Uh, fourteen is Yuzuriha. Fifteen, Francois. Doctor Chelsea is number sixteen. Aginro seventeen. Nikki eighteen. Muna nineteen, Kinro twenty, Magma twenty one, Joel twenty two, Yo twenty three, and Minami twenty four. Once again, these polls do not include every character that you could possibly want to vote for, so there's certainly some absences and stuff. But uh, overall, I think it's pretty aligned with what I would expect to be, you know, who I would expect to be popular with the Doctor Stone fans and uh, the U.S. community in particular. I'm sure if Maxi were here, they would be very disappointed that Francois is as low as number 15 and say that they should be in, in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, Francois is great, and I would agree with that. Like, I would like to see them get some more love. Mm-hmm, for sure. But that about does it for our news, then, with the coverage of this popularity poll. And now we can get into our discussion of Neo Nakatomi's new series and the new song report from Yen Press, God Bless the Mistaken. The premise of this series, now, when we originally approached it, we had said, like, this is about investigating bugs, and we thought that meant in terms of insects. However, they mean bugs in terms of, like, glitches, in terms of, like, in this world, essentially, there are phenomena that happen in which the world becomes abnormal. And one of the examples of that is that in this first chapter, like, a bunch of vegetation starts growing on top of houses and buildings and just all over the town. But people are so used to these abnormal nowadays and aberrations of this world that they kind of are pretty chill and lackadaisical about it all like it doesn't really affect daily life that much but what's interesting about this first chapter it is exploring basically what a daily life is like for people in this world of like oh like this new phenomenon has happened so here's how we have to kind of problem solve and adapt to this living situation for a while but because people know that oh well this will go away after a few days so things are going to change like they don't freak out as much about this stuff anymore it's kind of an interesting kind of demeanor and take for a lot of these characters. Our protagonists are a character called Cone, who's like a middle schooler who lives at this like a boarding house, and then his landlord, Kasane. And Kasane is a researcher of bugs, a researcher of like all these glitches. And what she really observes, though, is like uh, how humans react and adapt to the different bugs. Like she's more of a behavioral kind of uh, scientist investigator, more so than she's investigating the cause of the phenomena itself. And yeah, it's kind of the interesting thing about the the chapter is that we really are just kind of navigating throughout this different town as we learn more about this world. We learn more about how people adapt to the world, how they choose to approach these different phenomena when they happen. As there's a pretty like interesting scene of where like Kazane tests Cone of like, hey, you know, here's this big tree blocking our path, walking through the city. What are you gonna do? And Cone just thinks to go forward, and then that leads to him such a well, huh? You know, that's very really interesting because you chose to break straight ahead. 
but other people might have chosen to cut it down, or some people wouldn't do to try to go out until this whole thing had passed. So that's kind of the interesting thing of like how human beings like kind of like adapt to like different circumstances differently. And it's just interesting to go through the town and then to see like how like these different businesses and people are reacting to like the phenomenon of all these plants and flowers flying over. Some who take advantage of it, like this uh, vegetable seller who is like selling new asparagus that is being kind of grown through this glitch. And then that leads to an interesting conversation about like kind of the uh, ephemerality or like the lasting effects of like the creations of these glitches. Like when it comes to food, does food like go away after the bug ends? Like does the effects of like having ingested the food disappear? So it's a lot of interesting world building in the series. I mean, basically the entire chapter of Kasane and Cohen kind of going around the town and gathering like kind of a bunch of food ingredients for like a big barbecue ends up culminating this kind of sweet moment where like, oh, it's actually Kasane wanted to celebrate Cohen's birthday. And it's like a week late, but like it's, you know, still kind of nice that he ends up getting this celebration. And then, yeah, that's basically the chapter. It really is just table setting for the premise. But I think we get a lot of interesting kind of uh, character details here with Colin and Kazani and how they approach different situations and what they find interesting about the world when they're consumed with bugs. And I really like the vibe of the series. And of course, I'm a big fan of Nakatani's art in this particular. And the two-page spread uh, at the beginning of the chapter, which shows, like, all the houses in the town, like, covered with the different flowers and the shrubbery and the, the wines and the tr- trees. Like, I really, really like that. It is a really astonishing visual. So yeah, it's a very different series from kind of the more slice of life trauma that was, like, blooming to you. But it, it still has like kind of a slice, it is more of a slice of life series, I think really about this. I think the premise is like different chapters, there'll be like different phenomena and we'll see how people react to it differently. So I think it's like a kind of nice character study type of manga, just like seeing like characters react to strange situations and how they choose to approach them. So yeah, I really uh, enjoyed this first chapter. Yeah, I thought this was interesting too. Um, I don't know if I have a lot to like kind of add on to that. But, um, you know, I mean, if we haven't said it enough, I mean, Neo Nakatani's art is very excellent. I really like the look of their series and uh, their character designs in particular. And yeah, this world that this series is exploring is really interesting, too. It definitely made me curious as to like how this world works and like how much farther we'll like explore it. And yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I think it was a good enough hook. I was not expecting like how slice of lifeish it was, but I I do kind of like that vibe personally. Like I said, it feels very slice slice of life ish, but like there's still a lot to kind of dig into as far as like how this world works, and like I think it does a good job of hooking in the reader, making them like, oh man, I really want to like keep exploring this world and like see how it works or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I think it's really created an interesting role. I'm interested in how it changes and how people change alongside it uh, with different apparitions, different glitches and bugs. This is when I'm super tempted to keep up with the Simulpub, but because it is a Yen Press title and I inevitably, like, it'll come out in print and I get, like, pretty much uh, my pick of any, like, Yen Press review copies, I'll probably wait for the physical release of this. But yeah, no, I'm really excited for this series. Like, I think it has a super cool premise, super cool hook. And I'm looking forward to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I might try to like check in on this every once in a while. I would at least like to read more of it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but we'll definitely leave links in the show notes for where people can like check this out and everything if uh, people are interested. But uh, I think we could recommend it so far. I, I would say this is worth checking out. Oh, absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Uh, love Nakatani's work. Love their art uh, and storytelling. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to be about it for the show. Uh, I mean, at least uh, unless you have any community shoutouts you want to put out there. I do have community shoutouts. So uh, we mentioned a lot of titles during our licensing list, but some that, you know, I chose to keep off mind were titles that had already come out from Kodansha USA as digital first earlier this month. And one of those titles was Love After World Domination, which our good friend Grant did a great review of for ANN. And he really, really loved this manga. And his enthusiasm was so infectious that I had to read it immediately after reading his review. But yeah, it's it's a love story between like a kind of Sentai force leader and then the kind of demon lord of an evil organization. Oh, wow. And so it's like kind of this like clandestine relationship, you know, a forbidden romance between like a hero and a villain. And it's very loving send up to Sentai and Tokusatsu tropes and series. In addition to being just like a really sweet romance in himself. And I think Grant did a really great for you that touched upon like what makes it so endearing. Like he gave it like A pluses all around. Yeah, I can definitely see like it's such a grand series. So up but also it is really, really uh, charming. So I definitely want to recommend his review. I recommend the series too. Uh, in terms of other things to recommend uh, for friends of the show, like Weekly Manga Recap, this past month had done a lot of really good episodes on both queer and horror manga. They kind of ended up mixing the two going back forth. But uh, honestly, my favorite podcast and the one I want to recommend is like one where they didn't really have a, like a, a topic series to talk about, but they did have a very special guest. And that special guest was Code from Boruto. <laughs> Basically, Chris <laughs> dressed up as Code. Uh, and you gotta watch the Twitch version of this because you gotta see his costume. <laughs> but he dressed up as Code from Boruto and he, he acted as Code during the entire uh, discussion of the latest Boruto chapter. And it is just so <laughs> damn funny. <laughs> All the jokes about how Code thinks he is so cool and how he's like, so vain. Like, it's just so funny. Like, I I was, like, watching the scene through this in the car I was driving, and it was just, like, too funny. I was just laughing a lot too many times. So, now I, I just wanted to watch recommend you just check that out because it is just really funny. Uh, so, yeah. In terms of other really funny podcasts I want to recommend to you, uh, Serious Coconuts were my favorite, like, uh, comedian podcasters. Like, he started up a new Evangelion Watch Along podcast that's going to be going around monthly. It's basically called Congratulations, Evangelion Watch Along. And yeah, like, I'm enjoying his thoughts going through the show for the first time in Sarantia. And uh, they had some fun banter, as usual. Some fun thoughts on, like, the shows and the characters so far and how it developed. So, yeah, if you are looking forward for a new and funny, like, even Jelly and Watch Along podcast, like, definitely check out uh, a series' new one. And uh, now I have just some uh, YouTube uh, videos that I enjoyed recently that I want to shout out to you guys. One is Mr. Fusion continuing on his Dragon Ball Dissection series and covering the Otherworld Tournament filler arc uh, in DVC. Basically going over the things that work about the art in terms of the comedy, in terms of like the new Kai characters, um, but also where the arc falls short in terms of being an actual like tournament arc and having like kind of you know, structured fights and plotting. Like, I think he makes good comparisons, like, what makes a tournament arc in Dragon Ball, like, work and interesting, what doesn't, and then how, like, some of the failings of this arc also sets the stage or kind of can be mirrored in, like, some of the weaker aspects of the tournament power, you know, in terms of, like, uh, how Kaikon is characterized, how some of the fights, like, pan out in terms of, like, not really making, not, they're feeling like not a whole lot of time 
being put into like planning out like how the tournament work in like a super compelling way narratively and dramatically so once again like i really like mr fusion uh really taken apart and taking a look at what works and what doesn't work about Dragon Ball adaptation and in terms of its storytelling. And uh, yeah, I really appreciated his look at this uh, Underworld Tournament Dark. And then finally, the last uh, video I want to recommend is a special roundtable, a conversation on Lupin Third for its 50th anniversary held by animation historians, media researchers Roland Kelts and Charles Roman on Sentai's YouTube channel. And they really had a great conversation about Lupin Third as a series uh, in terms of like its... You know, the context it came out in, in Japanese pop culture, why it has resonated and continues to resonate over the years, how the series has evolved over time, where they would like to see it go in terms of continuing its evolution, what were the standout, like, moments or pieces of the media that really had redefined it and, like, set the stage for its popularity, and not just in Japan, but overseas. Like, I thought it was a really really good conversation and tribute to Lupin and its history. So yeah, I really want to recommend that, especially with, you know, Lupin just celebrating its 50th anniversary recently. And yeah, that basically does it for my community shout outs for this episode. And with that, I think we can head into a wrap up of the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, before we wrap up, I think it is safe to announce that on our next episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking about Parasite, the original Parasite manga from Hitoshi Iwaki. That should be coming up on our next episode, and I won't say much for now, because we're, things could change, but uh, that might not be the only time we talk about Parasite that episode. Just, uh, just, a, just a little tease, you know? Obviously, we kind of have to take a break from uh, some of our horror manga selections to cover news like we usually do, but uh, we, we, we still got some stuff to cover during the month of November. But yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to having you guys listen to that conversation and yeah, I guess until then, um, yeah, we can just go ahead and end the show and let people know where they can find us. Uh, Lum, why don't we start with you? You can find me at Lum Ryasha on Twitter, Lum Ryasha, a variety of places, animation, analyst, writers, Lum Ryasha. That's you can find me. You can read my reviews on autoshama.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. Look forward to more on there. That's also where you can find the other podcasts I do, including my Resident Movies, the show where we primarily talk about anime movies, and Lum Squad, the show where we discuss the wonderful wacky world of Wunkan Hayashi's Yurusi Yatsura, going through the manga as new volumes come out from Biz Media, and the anime, and the movies especially now that they're on Crunchyroll. Been having a lot of fun doing that. Been working on getting uh, some more episodes finished and getting it out there. So look forward to more on there. And yeah, if you like the art, illustrations, animations I do, uh, the illustrations I do for this podcast, and just the art I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at Artworks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter, at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of other podcasts besides this one, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where I have a page dedicated to basically whatever I'm doing at the moment, including past podcast projects, uh, as well as uh, a bunch of different guest spots I've done on a lot of other shows. Uh, so again, if you're interested in anything else I do podcasting-wise, you can find all my stuff there, again, at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks on the podcast, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast early before anyone else. Basically, if we happen to have an episode edited early before we're meant to put it up on the main feed, we'll put it up on Patreon at the $2 tier for you guys to listen to first. 
Admittedly, that also kind of depends on our schedules and uh, when we get to certain things and everything. So if you want more reliable content, admittedly, you should sign up for our $5 tier where we post a different bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, When you're listening to this, our newest bonus podcast is actually our return to our Saint Seiya Manga Mavericks Book Club read-through, where we're going through the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kuramata. Uh, It's my first time going through Saint Seiya, as well as my good friend Doctor from the Aspect Enemy Podcasting Network, and uh, we've been really enjoying it so far. We're almost finished with it. This newest episode we just uploaded, we're covering volumes 25 and 26, On the next episode after that, we're going to be covering volumes 27 and 28, so we're almost done with Saint Seiya. It's been a very wild ride, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how it ends. And so, yeah, I mean, basically, if you've been waiting for us to finish up our Saint Seiya read-through, you should definitely go sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks to listen to our entire read-through. It's been very fun. And just in general, it's really the best way for you guys to, like, support us and everything we do on the show. It helps us keep the podcast online, keeps the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, just any patronage you throw our way, we really appreciate. And we really want to thank you guys for all your support. We cannot understate how much we appreciate it. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, where we upload different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mangamavericks. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? Uh, any thoughts on Neo Nakatani's God Bless the Mistaken World? And basically, thoughts on anything manga-related, podcast-related. And yeah, we'll read them on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. And so, yeah, again, you can email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Or basically, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on so many different platforms at this point. But especially on Apple Podcasts, if you leave us a rating and review, uh, we would really appreciate it. It really helps the visibility of our show as well, helps us get out there to more listeners. And, you know, just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, um, you know, because whatever feedback we get, positive or negative, uh, we want to use that to make the show that much better. Um, But yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode. Uh, This has been episode 181 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 182. Bye, guys. Sayonara.